Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. If you're listening to this on a different location, we do apologize for the inconvenience. Uh, for some reason, iTunes saw fit to take us off their hosting platform this week. Um, they didn't really tell us why. Uh, however, I'm sure I probably screwed something up there. So, eh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so I'm going to figure out what's going on with it, and I'm going to try and get it back and fixed as soon as possible. But until then, uh, we do appreciate you trying to find us in a different location. And we are going to continue the show because your financial freedom is at stake and we're not giving up. Oh, yeah. All right. Anyway, let's uh, hurry up and catch this new episode. Uh, Thomas Black, he's a guy that you definitely don't want to miss. Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. Super excited to have on today Thomas Black. He is a former veteran, or he is a veteran, I'm sorry, but he's also the co-founder of Nepali Capital, and he's an author. What's going on, Tom? How are you doing? Not a whole lot. Really, uh, actually super excited to be on the the show today. Really looking forward to it, actually, this week. I'm excited to have you, and thank you so much for uh, the contribution that you've had in our Facebook group, by the way. Oh, happy to Absolutely. do it. That goes likewise for anybody that's, uh, that's got questions after this. Happy to, happy to always answer. Yes. No, seriously, guys, reach out to Tom's because he is an amazing resource. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, and you're also an author, right? The Passive Income Physician. Yep, that is right. I wrote that uh, a couple of years ago after some some frustrating times in the medical community. And I'm, I'm sure we'll probably get into that a little deeper, but it was, <laughs> it was kind of all about uh, the realization that, um, that what I was doing wasn't my love necessarily. And I was just trading time for money. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. Physicians get it just as bad as anybody else. And, uh, right. finally found my passion. So. Right. Right. That is, that's incredible. And that'll, that'll definitely be, uh, I think, uh, interesting to kind of get some insight on that community too, because I oh, yeah. that's not a, you know, I'm not saying it's as a popular community, but that's not. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely not from the, you know, I've got over, <laughs> over the span of, and I got off active duty 21 years ago this March. Um, and, you know, I've, it, it's amazing over that in the medical community. I've got two or three buddies that, uh, that I've known that have done very well. And, and you just don't see that many military, ex-military enlisted that, uh, that, you know, go on to become physicians. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty small community. It's interesting to, to have those right. ties. Right, right, right. Awesome. So can you give us a little background about your military, uh, your service? I can, long and distinguished. So uh, <laughs> the year was 1993, I believe, um, and I was a less than stellar uh, high school student, played a lot of sports, um, didn't care whatsoever for any academics, um, barely graduated, it's debatable, whether <laughs> and found myself after I was a volunteer firefighter in our small little town and God knows I came home one day and I looked like a, uh, literally like, you know, a 16 year old, even though I was 18 at the time. Um, <laughs> I was a volunteer firefighter and I actually got fired from my volunteer job. What? 
Well, you know, firefighters are kind of a manly group of people, right? I mean, they're, they're, and I just did not look the part. I mean, I tried, I would show up at all the meetings. I did everything. When it came time that I have to fill out my volunteer application to the, uh, to the fire chief, he actually let me know that they really didn't have any positions and they really appreciated it. And so oh, I'm like, did I just get fired from a volunteer position? Oh, no. And <laughs> being a newly high school graduate or getting ready to graduate, not having the academics to even go to a, a technical school. Literally, I couldn't have gone to engine repair. Uh, I, uh, there was a phone rang and it was a Navy recruiter. And I, God knows why I listened to him for a little while. And I just said, okay, went down to the office. Next thing I know, I find myself with the MEPS. Getting, <laughs> my hair's being shaved and I'm in boot camp. So wow. uh, that was 92. I was active from 93 to 98. Um, and, I, and I won't go too much in detail, but so I was in a really long A school at the time mm. and I was doing very well. And somewhere along the line, I decide, Hey, I'm going to be an officer. I want to fly jets. Um, I do everything, everything I possibly can. So I graduated top of my class. I'm doing all this extra volunteer work, yada, yada, yada. I'm interviewing. So I got a commission or I got a, uh, uh, one of the two admiral spots they give away for, um, uh, for the Naval Academy, or actually Naval Academy prep school. So oh, wow. I was going to go a year early and go to Naps in Rhode Island and then go to Annapolis. Nice. So I get that. I get something called a boost scholarship. I'm on cloud nine. I was waiting for all this to happen and I made a huge mistake and um, I'm forming up a hundred or so people and I left my backpack in the hallway and I had member, I don't know if you remember in those people that uh, might remember the gigantic military IDs, the huge ones. Yeah, well, it was before the cat part, <laughs> yeah, before no. everything was a long time. Okay, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Well, they, were really, they were really big, and I had discovered a way to split it. I put both of them, so I was only night 20 at the time. So I was able to go and drink. And so I go to Captain's Mass, which is the same oh, thing offer, office hours for you Army and Air Force folks. Uh, so I'm standing up in front of the old man. It just so happens that that day my appointment came through for the Naval Academy. And, of course, you can imagine you're in there dressed whites, and he literally rips the damn thing up in front of my face. No. Oh, yeah. No, I've still got it. I've still got it. I literally framed it, and I still have it. So it's still ripped up. And it's got, you know, your, your alternate position and your appointment has been blah, blah, blah. And I was an alternate for the Boost Scholarship, too, which Boost was Broaden Opportunity Officer Selection and Training or some acronym. But, right. Uh, I was an alternate for that. And more, I'll ping back on that in a second. But so – I get extra duty, 45 days restriction, 45 days of extra duty. I get nothing. I was a frock D4. So in the Navy, it's a little bit different is, you know, you're wearing your grade before you're paid for it. Yep. So you're not technically E4. So all my class that was accelerated rank, everybody's E4. I end up getting busted because of technically you're D3. So I get busted down to E2 in front of a hundred people that I was the one in charge of. So <laughs> I get sent to the fleet. Um, on a destroyer as an E2 ET, which there is no such thing as an E2 ET at all in the Navy. And so I, I remember I had an order. So I had to take the next couple exams that didn't exist. I don't even, to this day, I don't know how it happened. I, so, you know, I made E3 up really quick and then I made four, but man, those first 90 to 100 days at sea on the ship, you're, if you're undesignated or you're below E4, you're mess cranking. Right. So, a lot of time spent in the damn wardroom, ironing officers' clothes and or washing dishes. Dude, it was the most humbling experience. Um, so what I was going to say is I get back to the, I got back to the ship um, or I get – when I made it to the ship finally, when I was PCS there, I, uh, I got informed that, uh, that I was 
bumped up from selectee or from applicant or from alternate to selectee for the, the for the other boost scholarship. And of course, you know, can't go if you've got any NJP. Oh no, they didn't even let you go. Oh no, no, hell no, you can't. Oh, no, no, no NJP, wow. nothing. Right. So I found myself haze gray and underway for three and a half years. Jeez. It's two, uh, two West packs, one South pack counter narcotics, um, ended up, um, deciding at one point I was in the Gulf and, uh, this was, you know, in between Iraq and, and the first Afghanistan, it was like 20, it was 1996, something like that. And so basically we were on this VBSS team, which we'd go over and search different ships and things looking for contraband. And I remember one time I went over there and there's, Guys that didn't have fuel and they no potable water and they've been floating out there for God knows how long. So they just looked right. really emaciated. And suddenly it hits me. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a doctor. Why not? Why not, right? So why not, right? Um, and so started studying, you know, doing stuff, taking courses while we were underway on the ship that always, you know, people fly out or when we were in port. Um, ending up making E5 before I got out. Um, got out early, actually. Um, because the ship decommissioned and we had home port shifted from Seattle to, uh, to Seattle. I'm sorry, from San Diego to Seattle. So got off active duty, um, got out of March 31st, 1998, started summer school, uh, went through undergrad in three years, uh, got a degrees in biology and biochemistry, graduated with honors, um, go get accepted to med school, mm-hmm. graduated with honors, top of my class in med school. Um, yeah. Then decide that I hadn't had enough. I always wanted to be a commission officer, so jumped in with a couple of friends and uh, and took an army commission. So while I was in med school, was drilling, doing that. Then go to my first choice of residency. So I'm a board certified ER doctor. So I trained up at um, a couple of trauma centers up in Indianapolis and took a buy. So I had a three year buy in between military service and knew I was going to come back to Texas at some point, but they didn't have any army facilities. So made the begrudging decision as we talked about earlier to jump into the air force. Cause there was a, uh, uh, Barksdale air force base and there was also a big reserve base here in Fort Worth. So that is my, uh, kind of my military career in a nutshell. I left finally in 2014 as a major and said, I'm done with this. I'm going to start growing whatever I want to do. There it is. Wow. wow. That's impressive. Oh my yeah. goodness. So you managed to go through the three or well, three of the branches of service. So that's, that's, that's yep. incredible. <laughs> yeah, there were no, there were no, I mean, as you know, Marine Corps doesn't other than fleet Marine Force for medics. Then right. they're all so there were no Marine Corps officers. Otherwise, maybe at the time that would have probably been 60 pounds earlier. And I probably might've thought about down that road. <laughs> the big thing. And I did not want to go to the Navy or Marine is because recalls a year in theater for doctors. Is it really? Um, yeah. Oh. Air Force and army are actually 90 days in theater. Okay. And then they rotate, yeah. So that's wow. all. Ninety days is a whole lot better than a year. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that for sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Awesome. So then, you know, in the military, fast forward now. How did you get started into real estate investing? So as I was leaving residency, so it's two thousand eight or so. Um, you know, I bought my house, my first house, um, on the peak of the uh, right, the peak, right there, oh, right no. house. And I left and I bought Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I'm sitting there reading it as, you know, I'm in the hospital 110 hours a week and I'm like, I don't have enough to do. I just got enamored with the fact there was a couple stories in there about taxation and knowing that I was just going to get killed later on. I said, you know what? I'm just going to rent my house to an incoming resident. Mm -hmm. Somebody, we knew they were going to be there for three years. So I rented it out and that's really what 
what triggered this fire that I got completely sold on real estate. So we left, I put a, a three-year renter in there uh, that I knew was going to be there, was stable, that had a paycheck. Um, and then we moved to Texas and I started buying up houses and I was literally buying um, houses in Houston off the HUD website for like 40 cents on the dollar. I didn't even see them. What? So if you're familiar with, if you're familiar with Houston area, like Tombaugh Spring and a lot of the suburban areas around Houston were really good areas, but they had just overbuilt. And so I was buying these things and that was when flipping was kind of in its infancy. Okay. And so rather than flip, I didn't want the capital gains. I just started renting them. And so gathered about seven of those. And it was about three hours north from Houston area. And I started thinking, God, this is kind of getting a little bit laborious. So then, um, like everything I do, I kind of jump in with my, you know, not thinking sometimes and jump in head first. Bought some land in the town I was in, about three acres, and decided I was just going to develop an apartment complex. Um, so okay, <laughs> did that. Right? up, developed all the utilities. Um, you know, I'd find myself leaving the ER, an extremely busy level two trauma center in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'd leave at three a.m. and I'd be out in the back of my truck, popping a beer, watching. You know, seeing the day's framing or whatever it was, thinking, "Man, this is awesome." Uh, I don't know if I really like going to the hospital a whole lot. I mean, it's it's it was my career and it still is to this day, but. There was something really um, about that passive element that and building something and really gratifying. And I right. started to realize that rather than, you know, giving, you know, if somebody came in with a heart attack or they were dying or any number of things or a stroke, mm-hmm. I found it more gratifying to develop real estate and do things um, for some of my colleagues and things. So that happened. And I found a lot of my colleagues and, and other people started to kind of follow and that's where the whole Nepali capital thing was birthed. Um, It became referrals of referrals of referrals that I've been doing this over a little over a decade. And so capital never was really the problem. It just became more of a a deal flow. And so that's kind of where, that's kind of where it all started. It was, I don't know, you know, it's, it's been a hell of a lot of fun and uh, I'm just glad to have, you know, finally found what I really enjoy. You know, I still practice to this day a little bit, but not, uh, not a whole lot, so. but not a whole lot. Oh, I mean, I'm sure you've got a lot of uh, passive income coming in, you know, I do. All right. I do. All right. And now it's become something where I'm kind of, you know, with all the physicians and with burnout and I want to belabor all the issues about healthcare right now, but it's not a great environment to be a doctor <laughs> working a lot of hours. And, and there's kind of a myth You're right. that physicians are rich. I mean, we do well, but Hardly, hardly are they, you know, you're a, you're a six digit person that is locked in. Um, and if you're not working, you're not making money and there is no opportunity for ownership at all. It's gone. That, that, is, that is a great point. I mean, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, said it well, um, you know, he talks oh, yeah. about the cash flow quadrant and how that, you know, employee exactly right. Lloyd quadrant, right. Is yeah. It's yep. ESBI, man. I, believe me. Uh, <laughs> that is, they, you know, <laughs> And it's funny, you can't teach physicians because, oh, God, they're the smartest person in the room. So, <laughs> and I say that very sarcastically. It's, sometimes it's a realization for them to realize that they need to trust people. So, right. Yeah. But, but awesome. But, you know, you're doing well now, which is great. Uh, can we talk about some of the challenges that you faced while you're getting into investing, especially? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you know I, I think for, all along the way, um, you know, being a physician's great. You know, would I take it back? No. You know, I think it was just a progression of who I was and 
and it definitely gave me the ability to leverage contacts. Uh, right. But I look back and thank God if I would have spent four years in med school, three years in college, four years in med school, and another four years training, that's a long freaking time that if you just ground it out and you were working as much as I did during that time, I mean, it, it would have been, the, the world would have been, anything would have been possible. So I think the challenge was getting that mindset. And I think that's why your podcast is really great. You guys have this uh, you know, site that you're encouraging one another because anything's possible. I mean, an idiot kid from a small town that was a fired, you know, fired from his volunteer firefighting job that couldn't even get into college is a doctor. I mean, that's enough to say that the military, you go one way or the other, right? You're either right. super talented and you, you can, you can do anything you want. Exactly. Um, seen hard times. And so I'd say that's, that was probably the big thing is the biggest thing I could tell everybody is just change your mindset. As soon as you flip your mindset, and realize that you don't need a stable job at a 401k to live life. Um, and probably you're going to be a whole lot unhappier doing that. Mm-hmm. That's different. If you've, you're locked in and you got five kids, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a lot harder, but it's still possible. So shoot for happiness. Don't shoot for normality and mediocrity. Amen. Wow. Well said. Well said. That's impressive. Um, and since so true, you know, I think that we limit ourselves in our thinking, you know, being in the military, being structured and regimented for so long. Um, one of the issues that we face is that we almost, you know, don't deserve that freedom lifestyle that we fight so hard to protect, or we think it's unattainable because we haven't started out with all this money. Right. Exactly. I think the attain, I think that's the bigger thing that you, you know, how do I even start? You got to start somewhere and making mistakes isn't necessarily a bad thing. Just don't repeat the mistake, the same mistake twice. Uh, Making mistakes is a great thing. Um, You know, if you think of, you know, I can think of times that, you know, when I was sent out there as an electronics technician, working on radar and satellite communication systems and things, I'm washing dishes and I'm grinding, you know, needle decking decks and I've never done, I've never welded. You know, you do all these things, you had to start somewhere and the military is always a great learning platform because you didn't necessarily have somebody looking over your shoulder. You just were expected to go get it done. And sure. so really that was part of the realization that didn't, it took me 15 years to figure that out after I left the military that hell I did it then. Why is it so hard now that now I've got these, all these resources at my hands, you know, it's just a matter of going out there and doing it. Just starting. Exactly. Just yeah. starting. That's, that's incredible. Uh, do you mind giving us a little bit of insight on, on the whole shift from doing the single family HUD homes to building an apartment building? Uh, I know. Uh, yeah. Time. Well, it was because it was, it was where the opportunity was. Right. right. Um, so I was in a small area up in Northeast Texas, um, Longview and Tyler, which isn't small, but you know, houses out there that you can rent, there was this, there was a critical area where you had to buy right. Right. I mean, if you're going to rent, you know, you're going to rent for 1% of whatever you've got in the deal. It just wasn't possible. You'd be buying, and I did buy, you know, 30, $40,000 houses. It, it, it's really hard to make those work. Right. They cash flow well, but man, they're maintenance intensive and they're operationally intensive with the type of folks that you have as your tenant. Um, so I think the, the biggest thing was the realization of where the opportunity was, you know, depending on where you live, you know, your opportunity may not be that. You may not be multifamily. You may have to find opportunity in other segments. You have to source out where the opportunity exists and then trust yourself. That's, that's, that's a big deal. Um, right. And for me, it just got laborious going back and forth that far. And so I saw the opportunity, you know, moving there. I knew that there wasn't any nice apartments, you know, and they, the last ones had been built in the early 90s and they were getting a premium for it. So you knew that the area could absorb it. I only built 20 of them. I mean, it wasn't a huge, massive thing. Right. But we did really well. <clears throat> and then we, 
saw the opportunity and saw kind of that market peak coming there before oil crashed a number of years ago. Um, and then sold the damn thing and flipped that into some triple net stuff. And then I resigned my practice. I, uh, I realized that I didn't want to do it anymore from in that area. And, uh, my wife, thank God was pretty supportive and said, um, you know, I'll go wherever you go. So we packed up the family truckster and moved to the Dallas area and, uh, took a, uh, took another position as a medical director of a small, um, a small hospital and went out and I said, I made a, put a contract on a 305 unit apartment complex, um, wow. in 2014, I want to say, and raised 3.2 million was my first deal. Wow. Um, 12.4 million purchase price. Sold it two years, four days later for 21, just under 21 million. Get out of here. Oh that, my goodness. That's what really exploded what I knew. Um, and it's funny because on the physician side, I was an administrator. As my portfolio and my real estate experience began to grow, so did my administrative. So I became the regional director and now I'm the president of the medical group. And, and, it's, and it's only because of that knowledge of finance and understanding revenue and expenses. I mean, physicians are really bad at it, um, but having the ability to speak both languages was a natural fit. So sold that. Um, and then um, partnered with my brother who was, uh, I don't know if you know, a company called Great Wolf Lodge. They build indoor hotel and um, like water parks. So they have 17 resorts across the country. Oh, he was a so cool. operations officer. Wow. Um, and he, uh, he took a buyout from private equity and joined me and that's where we formed the company. So it's just he and I now and I'm wow. 170 million under management right now. Get so. out of here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. <laughs> things go right. Sorry. I don't mean to be jumping around, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm no, 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 that's great. Kind of logically where, where we've been. So no, that's, that's awesome. I think that's a perfect example. You know, I mean, you started out. And and this is really cool. I think this is inspiring, right? You, you started out in the military, right? A little E whatever in the Navy. And then you had all this opportunity come, but then you, you know, you had a, a setback, right? Which we all oh, yeah. experience in life, right? Oh yeah. Right. But it's what you do with it as you come back up. And now look, I mean, you. Yeah, it, it definitely. Yeah. Setbacks are good, man. I, if you would have talked to me in 19, 19- 95 or whatever, what, you know, I was crying in my Cheerios pretty badly. <laughs> I'll still remember going to captain's mats. One of the greatest things. As a matter of fact, I've found um, some of the guys that I've served with and, uh, and it's funny to go back and, and talk to them and see them now and just right. read some of that and think, Oh my God, we kind of laugh about, you know, there's four or five of us that laugh about those times, you know, having gone through boot camp, and then we all went different areas. So it's, Right. It's amusing sometimes. I really wish I could find out. I don't know who the CEO was at the time that sent me to Captain's Mass. Um, but I'd love to have a conversation with those guys and just compare net worths and just slide it <laughs> Thank you very much. I really appreciate you doing that because I probably would have been doing Mach 3 over Afghanistan. Damn, thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> that is awesome. That yeah. is awesome. All right. All right. Well, wow. Um, that's incredible. I, you know, I kind of have another question too, because I think this is, this is something and that a lot of people have anxiety over when they're talking about capital raising, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe this is geared more towards those folks who are interested in the multifamily space. But uh, what was it like um, raising the capital on that first deal? Maybe that, that 3.2 oh, yeah. deal. Uh, I'll tell you what, I have had a lot of scary things. I've dealt with shootings, children drowning, um, 
That was definitely the scariest damn thing. It, it is another level of, of it's, it's something you've got to get over. You yeah. have to get over it. Um, and maybe it was because I did 3.3 million on the first chunk. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get there. Mm. Um, and I didn't even have, this is how bad I, I was negative net worth by a good amount as a physician, my house and everything else. I was four years into practice. I probably moved to Dallas with negative 600 in true, true net worth. Right. Goodness, you wow. Think about it, your house. And that's includes your house, your home mortgage and everything. Yeah. Um, I had to borrow and this, tells you how one track mine I was two of my good friends one of them an ex ex boiler technician in the navy that's doctor now I wrote a side note for 50 grand I put in 50 grand and then I had another 50 grand from somebody else that I guaranteed a note for because the earnest money I mean it's 150k chunking down the EM on these deals and so I wasn't sure so you talk about some sleepless nights making sure that um, that things are going to go yeah it, it was interesting right. Oh my goodness, 150000 just for an earnest money deposit. But yeah, so the earnest money deposit, for those of you who don't know uh, what that is, is it's a deposit that you have to put when you, uh, when you put the, co- the property under contract, when you submit an offer, you say, yeah. okay, well, this is what I'm, wanted, what I'm willing to purchase it for. And this is the amount of money that I'm willing to put down for us to get this, you know, this thing going, right? Yep, absolutely. And those, you know, typically there's different contractual issues, whether it's hard day one, whether you've got a, you know, a due diligence period. So it, it, things become very real when you sign that contract and you submit right. 150000 or whatever your earnest money is on, on different things after your period, because you know, you know, you've had a certain amount of time to comb through the property. So um, it's, it, it was definitely challenging. That was, you know, going back to your original statement that uh, you got to get comfortable with raising capital if you're going to do it. After your first one, um, it becomes easier. It really does. It's just a matter of getting over the hump, and you got to have confidence to do it. You know, exactly. Uh, that's all it takes. Right. Absolutely, man. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Tom, thank you so much. This is this has been really, really insightful. Um, I got to say, it's kind of inspiring. You know, just kind of you know hearing you tell your story about where you came from and how you kind of built along the way. Um, so right, I got to take you into our bonus round real quick. All right, bonus Here round. Here we go. Question. So our All friends right. get to know you. What is your favorite book? God, you know I got a lot of them, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say the same thing that every person probably does, including yeah. you guys just interviewed him the other day. I hate to say it, but yeah. I like to say it is is Rich Dad Poor Dad, just because it was really the single most pivotal change to my thought process, and it probably if it's made me $8 million. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's been responsible for everything that I've ever made. I mean, it is, there's so much good, good information in there and just a thought process. That's all it is. And people right. take it literally and, and don't appreciate the book for what it is. It's, it's, it's just a change of your mind. It's not a roadmap at all. Right. So it's been, uh, it's, it was very good. Hopefully I'll get to meet him one day like you guys did. That was really impressive. I love that. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, I mean, I, I could tell you the story later on, but I mean, it was really just, I got lucky. We just kind of put ourselves out there and like, hey, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, we share a lot of the same friends and it's just a matter of time. I told my wife that I wanted for my birthday next year. I was like, I just want to read Robert. I just want to sit down and have a, I just want to drink with him. There you so, go. Well, hey, you know, you, <laughs> affirmations, right? Write that on your goal board. I got it. Oh, it is. It's on there. I'm like, yeah, there you know. It is. Yeah. Clean yacht, Robert Kiyosaki. Why not? So, yeah. There you yeah. go. Awesome. <laughs> So who is your biggest hero and why? 
Maybe it's Robert. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Robert's a great guy. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest hero. Um, God, that's really tough. You know, I'd have to say probably my brother just because we didn't, we didn't have a very close relationship until we formed the company and he's nine years, my senior. So growing up, I idolized him by the time I was nine years old, he left home. And so he was very, very successful. And in, you know, being the chief operations officer of a major company. Um, and he started out as a paramedic, didn't have a college degree. So it's really interesting to think that I always looked at him as being the successful one. And I always had kind of his, his lifestyle achievements and what he's done was kind of my litmus and all that time he was looking at me thinking the exact same thing. So it's really weird how the yin and the yang work between us. So, right. um, but other than that, man, I, I think there was one other, there was one other guy that I served with on the destroyer and I'm still trying to find this guy. Um, that was just super encouraging. You know, when you're enlisted, it always seemed that, um, from an officer's perspective, maybe, or, or NCOs and things that, the thought that I was going to get out and go to college was sometimes I wouldn't say looked down upon, but it was just kind of petty mm-hmm. that that's what I really wanted to do. And maybe it was about bettering yourself and things probably were a lot different back then, but he was the one guy that always said, go after it, do whatever you want, you know, and was just a really great guy. And I have yet to find him still. I'm still trying to hunt him down. Wow. Okay. Like, well, I really hope you find him because that's, that's so too. anybody out there knows where Robert McLaughlin is. He's a chief warrant officer in the Navy now. Can't find the guy. Oh man! Well, I hope he's listening to this podcast. Oh, God, I hope he is too. It'd be awesome. He that was eating one back then, so I just really learned the other night that he actually made one. Okay. So. Wow. All right. All right. Cool. Um, so, uh, what three nuggets could you offer? Right, three nuggets that you could offer um, six <laughs> to those yeah. who, are, who are trying to get started. <laughs> three nuggets. Uh, I mean, go out there, find a property, even if it's small. Just do it. I mean, put yourself out there to some extent sitting on the sidelines, you can get as much education as you possibly can, but at some point you're going to have to jump in Mm. earlier rather than later. I mean, don't jump in there. Don't max your credit cards and do anything ridiculous, but go find somebody, put skin in the game and, you know, just jump, just jump. That's the biggest thing. You're never going to get anywhere if you don't jump off the ocean or jump off the cliff. Amen. I like it. I like it. Um, Another nugget. uh, You know, I think the biggest thing, and I've learned this, uh, be humble, uh, be super humble. Even when you've made it and you have killed it, uh, always learn to look at what you can do better and eating crow. Although it was very difficult at times, uh, there's always a reason for that and it'll make you a better person. Uh, if it doesn't make you a better person, it's going to make you super bitter and angry. So it's better just to be a better person for it. Uh, eating crow every once in a while is okay. As long as you, as long as you realize when you're eating it. <laughs> All right. So number three, um, you know, I, I think it just goes along with jumping off the cliff is just don't have, don't have fear for, you know, getting through the military in any respect and all the things that are done. It's extremely regimented. Don't, don't be afraid if you're on active duty right now that, that you can't leave and make something unbelievable. I mean, people do it every day. Um, it's just a matter of turning your mindset. I mean, you just got to change that mindset. It's probably the reason special forces and, and seals and those guys do so well. I've, I've never met one that's, that hasn't been successful on the outside. Right. And that's not because they're any more fit. It's because up here they were in, they were in the right place to get through it. And they just translate that to the outside and they'll do whatever it takes to succeed. That's why. Outstanding. Wow. All right. 
Uh, that's awesome. Uh, well, thanks so much again. Really appreciate it. Uh, can we ask what's next for you or, you know, what are you working on? How are what's next? Support so you? we're always working on our database. We've got about 700 doctors in our, in our investor funds. Okay. So typically when we do a capital raise, it takes 36 hours, 48 hours, something like that. Um, we're getting ready to come out with two, <coughs> excuse me, two investments, uh, a couple hundred units, uh, one in Dallas, one in uh, Atlanta in a submarket we own. Um, you know, it's all about bringing value to our investors and our, to our group. I mean, much like you with, with your profile and with your listeners, we do that for our investors and we're constantly trying to reinvent how can we be better for them? Right. Because in the end, it always comes back to the investor at the end. You live and die by making them better. Um, that's where we're at. You know, we're going to continue to do better, um, you know, bigger and better, bigger and better. And we'd like to, you know, Hotel is probably in our future very quickly. All right. Um, we had one under contract last year, but it was, it, uh, it fell out about a day before closing. So that's a long, that's a long other story of, of, you know, learning, learning to eat crow and never doing the wrong, never making the same mistake twice. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Wasn't quite as long and colorful as the, as the military debacle, but it was still a very good learning experience. So, right. Right. Okay. Very All right. Well, best of luck with that, Tom. And uh, and for those of you who are trying to go out and reach out to him, is there a good spot that? Well, absolutely. You can either reach out to me at Thomas uh, at NapaliCap.com, which is T-H-O-M-A-S at N-A-P-A-L-I-C-A-P.com. That's our, our uh, business address. Happy to talk to anybody. Of course, you can probably reach out on Facebook. I'm out there too with some of you guys and happy to you know help in the ways that I can you know help you navigate and whatever assistance that and in any way, I'm happy to do it or point you in the right direction. It sounds like a lot of you guys are really kicking it, you know, killing it with, with Rod. And Rod's a great guy, too, so you guys are doing really well. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And, guys, make sure you guys go out and uh, reach out to Tom. He's a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for your time on this podcast. Anytime, man. Anytime. Happy to do it. All right. Take care. No problem. What an amazing guy and what an amazing experience. Thank you so much, Thomas, for coming on the podcast. And hey, guys, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. If you guys are ready to take action, make sure you hit up www.activedutypassiveincome.com so you can get started on building your financial freedom today. Schedule a call with us because we want to know what's going on. Hey, listen, it's almost halfway through February and we're in 2019. What are you guys doing with the rest of it, right? Let us know what you're up to. Check out our Facebook page and hit up our forum at Start the Spark. All right. We want to connect with you guys so we can see what you guys are going on so we can help motivate you. And hey, also schedule a call. All this stuff is free, guys, and you're more than welcome to take advantage of it and to let us figure out how we can add value into your 2019. Okay. Thanks so much, guys, for everything. Stay safe out there. We'll catch you on the flip side. 